The Song of Lamech In Genesis 4, 23 and 24, we have a brief, vivid glimpse and revelation of the psychology of a depraved man. It has been observed with respect to the doctrine of total depravity that total depravity does not mean absolute depravity, nor does it imply that anyone in this life is so bad that he could not become worse. The depravity spoken of is total in its extent, not in its degree. In Lamech, we see the extent of depravity as it reveals itself in a man who places himself at the center of life in God's place. If a man wounds him, Lamech will kill him. If a youth bruises him, he shall die for it. But that is not all. As Leupold points out, Lamech remembers the sentence and the divine promise to his ancestor. On this he builds up. If God will see to it that the one who harms Cain will have a sevenfold measure of punishment, Lamech, not needing or even despising God's avenging justice, will provide for himself by the strength of his own arm, reinforced by his son's weapon. A far more heavy punishment than God would have allowed, seventy-sevenfold. The arrogance and presumption are unbelievable. The spirit of self-sufficiency here expressing itself overleaps all bounds. This, then, coupled with its hate and revengefulness, makes it one of the most ungodly pieces ever written. Such are the achievements of human culture divorced from God. The inclusion of this dramatic boast in scripture is not accidental, but essential. Clearly, it is important for us to understand its meaning. An interesting, incisive, and theological comment by Cornelius Van Til phrases the psychology of Lamech in terms of 20th century religious thought. In a sense, it is a modernizing of the text, but since the contemporary mind is a development of the implications of the fall, Van Til's comment is all the more revealing because it indicates the clear link between the depravity of Lamech and that of 20th century man. According to Van Til, Lamech had told his wives how his great-grandfather, many generations back, had really believed in the objective existence of God. Lamech had told his two wives of the myth of Adam and Eve and of their prehistoric fall. Cain, he said, had actually feared that for his murder, some untoward termination of his life would come to him. But he, Lamech, had outgrown all that. For him, God was dead. He knew that God was a projection of the imagination of man. He knew that there had been no such thing as a confrontation of Adam with God in ordinary history. And he knew that the threats which Cain feared were purely subjective and could be cured by psychotherapy. The idea of a future punishment for murder and adultery must be taken cum grano. We have now a new morality and a situation ethics. Eschatology, as well as prehistory, must not be placed on the same line with ordinary history. Adam lived in Urgeschicht, so let us eat and drink and commit adultery, for tomorrow we die. Van Til is right. Very clearly, we have here a new morality and a situation ethics. We have also a deliberate contempt expressed for God's declaration to Cain. Therefore, whosoever slayeth Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. Genesis 4.15 To understand Lamech's reference, the meaning of God's statement must be understood. Cain had committed murder and was clearly guilty and merited death. All the same, God prevented the execution of Cain and made public his protection of Cain. The reason for this is family law, which takes precedence over the death penalty. The family had a duty to denounce a delinquent son but it could not, as with witnesses in other cases, be an executioner. Deuteronomy 21, 18-21 The power of the family does not extend to the death penalty. As the cradle, nursery, and school of life, its function is restricted to the discipline of life. The death penalty is the function of the state. 
Because the family has such great powers, to give it also the power of death is to make it totalitarian. Since mankind in Cain's day was one family, father, mother, sons, and daughters, God at the very beginning restricted the power of the family in this area. It was more important to preserve the boundaries of the family's power than to bring judgment in time to a murderer. A very important point, among other things, is thus clearly in evidence. The righteousness of God manifests itself in law, and God reveals himself in his word and act in the framework of his righteousness and law. Lamech, as the new god of being, expressed his contempt for God's self-restraint and law. Lamech's concept of God, i.e. of himself, was of a free god, a god beyond good and evil and thus beyond law. He could thus declare, Hear my voice, ye wives of Lamech. Hearken unto my speech, for I have slain a man to my wounding, and a young man to my hurt. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. Genesis 4, 23 and 24. In Lamech's thinking, if God exists, he is a fool. To have the power he claims to have and not to use it is folly. It is more logical to believe, Lamech implied, that God, if he exists, has no power. He is impotent. Not so Lamech. At his will and without restraint, he has the power to avenge himself seventy and sevenfold, and he boasts of the death he has just brought to two men. Lamech thus boasted that he had exploded the myth of God's law and of God's morality. He did as he pleased. It made no difference to Lamech whom he dealt with, a stranger or a son. If he were hurt or bruised, his vengeance would require death. The proud boastfulness of Lamech involves still another factor. He denied that he had any sense of guilt over committing murder. To have any guilt feelings would be to acknowledge God's law. As a result, Lamech takes the opposite course. Instead of nursing secret guilt feelings, he boasts of his crime and displays it as a virtue. It is a virtue because he has decided it must be so. He denied having guilt feelings because he denied that such a thing as sin is possible. Lamech lived beyond good and evil. To admit to guilt feelings was to admit to a sense of sin, and thereby to recognize God, however unwilling. This Lamech refused to do. Rather, he called attention to his murders, and boasted of them as a way of declaring his independence from God's law. To deny guilt feelings and to deny the fact of sin is essentially to deny God, and this precisely is what Lamech did. Whatever God might be, Lamech regarded as impotent or irrelevant. Lamech made the law as it suited him, and it suited him to express his radical contempt for God and God's law. This leads to an obvious conclusion. Because the biblical view of man is not dualistic, i.e. man is not made up of two alien substances but is a unity created by God, there is thus a basic unity of mind and body, thought and act. A man will act out his faith. The presuppositions of a man are implicit and explicit in his actions. Lamech's words and acts were revelatory of his thoughts, even as ours are. An old saying has it that murder will out. More accurately, a man's thoughts will come out in acts as well as words. History, therefore, does not stand still. Solomon said of man, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 23.7 What a man says today, he will probably do tomorrow. The idea, therefore, that pornography will not lead to sexual action or murderous ideas and plans to murderous acts is naive and foolish. Ideas are programs for action, and man's imagination is his drawing board for next year's campaigns and activities. Thus, for Sartre, man is completely and always free, or he is not free at all. 
This is not unlike Lamech's position. Dostoevsky observed that if God did not exist, everything would be possible. When man, like Lamech, wills himself to be his own God, then he must wage war against everything that represents the true God, his true church, law, and word. It is total warfare for a dream of total freedom. Its goal is the death of God, to make way for the birth of a new God. As a result, history is a warfare between reprobate man and God. The warfare is bitter, but there can be no doubt as to the triumph of the sovereign God.